On this mini prequel episode, we've got our fan poll follow-up for Mockingjay Part 1, and we're previewing The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. Hello and welcome back to this Tumblesit Podcast, where we talk about movies that are based on books. If you're listening to this when it comes out, it's probably Sunday. Uh, it's a weird time for a release, but we talked about it. We're doing a little mini episode uh, to get your reaction for part one of The Hunger Games. And then part two of Mockingjay will be out Wednesday, wrapping up our summer series. This mini prequel is going to be pretty short. We're going to get right into our first se- We're going to get right into our first segment and thank our patrons. We have two new patrons to shout out this week, and they are both $5 Hugo Award winning patrons, which means they get access to our bonus content. And they are Valerie Thomas and My Best Friend is Cooler Than Yours. Thank you to both of you for signing on at the $5 level. Appreciate you both very much. We have our Academy Award winners, and they are Kat Ensminger, Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Ian from Wine Country, Support Your Local Library, and Your Local Rebellion, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, V. Frank, I Hate Peter Malark, and Alina Starkov. <laughs> strong <laughs> strong opinion there expressed in that in that second to last patron. Uh I don't know if I hate Peter Mark, but we'll discuss it in the main episode. We'll we'll get into lots about uh all of that uh when we get to our main episode for Mocking Jay Part Two. Right now we want to find out what you all had to say about Mocking Jay Part One. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh your opinion, man. Alright, so on Patreon. We had one vote for the book, one for the movie, and one person who could not decide how they wanted to vote. Mm -hmm. Diane Takaki said, FYI, I am now imagining Jennifer Lawrence singing Empty Chairs at Empty Tables when Katniss goes back to Victor's Village a la Marius and Les Mis, and I'm into it. Makes sense. I feel like... This is a thing that just needs to happen. I I got really excited when I was reading in the book and they went into the sewers. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, this is just Les Mis. <laughs> <Les Mis. laughs> Over on Facebook, we had one vote for the book and two for the movie. Tracy said, I'm picking the movie because the other two books I read each in a weekend, they were so good. This one I was really only a fan of in the last third of the book. So since this movie covers the first half, the movie gave me more from other points of view and gave me more of the story. Mm -hmm. And that has been a strength of the films overall is is getting to leave Katniss's head. Yeah. So especially if you didn't enjoy the book particularly, I imagine that would be a big strength. If you didn't like the first half of this book as much as the second half, then yeah, I could. Yeah, for sure. Over on Twitter, we had six votes for the book, four for the movie, and five people who couldn't or wouldn't decide. (laughs) Shelby Suderman said, this is the book I've enjoyed the most during this reread, so I'm holding off on picking just yet. It's weird to me that saving the other tributes isn't part of Katniss's demands in the book, only the pardon afterwards. Her making that a demand in the movie makes more sense to me. You mentioned the scene where Katniss dreams that Peeta finds her after a nightmare, but my favorite thing about that moment is it's a beat-for-beat recreation of the scene from Catching Fire when they're on the tour. 
I always read the scene with the elk as the prey in 13 as never having developed the survival awareness the way the prey in 12 did and the people in the district never did. Wait. I assume she means the elk as the same as the people of 13. Yes. Like the elk represents the people of 13 who did not learn to survive in the same way. And I said the people in the districts did. I read that wrong. Yeah. They have no idea what they don't know because they were never forced to learn. Yeah, I I like that interpretation. Yeah. I mean, they survive differently. They also have pretty strong survival. I I, I don't know, because like 13 has pretty distinct straw. It's like the whole reason they're like a nightmare dystopian society is because of their survival instinct. So I don't know. I think it's a little. I I see what she's saying. Different survival instinct. Yeah, I see what she's saying, but I think I don't know. Still not sold on that scene and its meaning yet. I like how in the scene where PETA warns them in the Assuming movie, that is what she was saying, because I'm trying to interpret what she wrote. And that, I may have misrepresented her point there, so I don't want to... I just want to clarify that. <laughs> Sorry. I like how in the scene where PETA warns them in the movie, he gets to react to Katniss in their broadcast. I liked giving him that moment after we've been seeing only Katniss's reactions to PETA's propos. I like the detail that the hovercraft they use when they're going to get the tributes is named Mockingjay 1. More because it fits with them naming the poison pill after the berries than just a movie title drop. I missed that. I didn't. I missed even, that I too. Missed I that did, did not catch that detail. Not at all. Patrick Wood said, "I've been reading slash watching along with you, but this is the first episode I've finished in time to comment on." Hooray! I read the books as they came out, but I've never seen the movies before. Hey, that was me. I was a big fan of the original book and enjoyed the second and third books much more this time around. It's also me. Look at everything you have in common with this person. Uh, So far, like, (laughs) exactly me. I don't have strong feelings about whether the first half of the book or this movie is better, so I'll just give some general thoughts on each. Something I noticed on this read-through of this series and something that you guys have discussed is how Katniss has trouble understanding other characters' motivations. So I found it interesting that at the beginning of the book, Katniss immediately drew comparisons between 13 and the Capitol in regards to using her by trying to shape her image and control her autonomy. I was on the fence on whether I thought this was some sort of character growth for Katniss, or perhaps Suzanne Collins speaking through the character and trying to drive home the similarities between the Capitol and 13. But I could have been reading too much into that. I think it's both. I think it's both as well. I think well. it's both. I think it's supposed to be character growth. Like Maybe not character growth is the wrong word, but like because of her experience, I guess character growth is the right word. I guess I don't want to necessarily assign like a moral, mm-hmm. like a morality to her learning to like uh, perceive other people's yeah. motivations better. But I think that is what's happening is that she's better through her experiences she has become better at right she has become more adept at that at re- understanding uh external actors motivations and why they're doing the things they are again i, I don't want to say I, I hesitate to call it character growth because i think that can apply like a moral um goodness to it that i don't mm-hmm. know if is like necessarily the case so much as it is just like an adaptive response that she's kind of had uh but i also think it's very specifically suzanne collins trying to drive home the yes, similarities yes I, I definitely think uh that's Suzanne the part Collins that sticks is, out super obviously. yeah trying to hit us over the head it's, with that point it's not subtle like at yeah. all yeah but i i do think it also counts as like you said maybe we don't necessarily label it growth but it is character development, development. yeah maybe that's um, where the, she's the she's word. been through these previous experiences and now is able to apply that knowledge yeah 
I definitely agree that it was a little dull that Collins tried for the bland communism parallel for District 13. It just reminded me of learning about different government systems in my Deep South elementary school and how disingenuous the discussion of communism was in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I won't say much about the movie as I found it watchable but not particularly engaging. I think the strongest aspect of this film series has been the production design, costumes, and some of the performances. All three were, again, the strongest part of this film for me. I really liked the look of 13. It's different from anything we've seen so far in this series. And while the costumes were admittedly duller in this one, I admire the fact that they had Jennifer Lawrence in that horrible gray jumpsuit for almost the entire movie, because when I was reading the book, I was sure the movie was going to find a way to have her wear something else for most of it. Mm. I kind of thought, like, yeah, maybe they will find an excuse to put her in a ball gown. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I thought, because I think the movies have been, apart from sort of in the early ones, um, because of the audience. Mm Mm-hmm sort of short sell um sort of downplaying the brutality of the games and stuff and like how like horribly like physically um affected she is by them afterwards Mm -hmm. and during apart from that i don't think i think the movie has done a the movies had done a fairly good job of not like overly because it is the point of like the series in a lot of ways the movies didn't overly like sexualize her in a way that felt counter to anything in the like yeah because that is such a huge part of the point like with the capital and the games and the prep teams and all that sort of stuff and the and the way they sexualize these children before they send them off to slaughter and all that i up until this point the movies hadn't found ways to you know sneak like I don't know, to make her more like physically attractive or mm-hmm. whatever than the book calls for in any given scene. Yeah, that's fair. And so I wasn't expecting them to hear, I guess, because it felt like they had stayed committed mm-hmm. to that sort of um, thematic premise and weren't interested in sort of violating that. Again, apart from she's not quite as dirty and yeah. horrifying <laughs> as she should be, but... There were also two scenes where I thought the director slash DP did some interesting things with colored lighting. I thought that the use of the kind of gross, harsh yellow lighting in the hospital scene was off-putting and reflected Katniss's feelings of discomfort. I also really liked the use of red lighting in the PETA rescue scene. I thought it looked striking, and that set piece was my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, yeah, there's some definitely some good choices uh, visually throughout the movies. Uh color wise in all of them but more mm-hmm. so in this one really in retrospect because the first one was just lots of gray for the most part you yeah have a lot of except when you get to the capital and stuff like that but yeah i agree i thought there was some there was some cool stuff in this one and minty to the seventh power said this is the only one of the trilogy where i prefer the movies to the book though i think both book and movies are collectively the worst of the series hmm. although Oh my God, yes, I remember when you guys said that Finnick fucked his way through the Capitol, and I cringed so hard because I remembered why and how, but you guys didn't know yet. You didn't know. No. But I also think that is a testament to how well Suzanne Collins set that up and then paid it off, because that's kind of the point. That's the point, yeah. yeah. That's like Katniss initially sees him that way, and so do we, we. the reader. And then later on, we get the rug pulled out from under yeah, us. Yeah, it's very intentional, and 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 
yeah, obviously very effective because mm-hmm. it, it worked really well. And finally, over on Instagram, we had seven votes for the book and four for the movie. Jedi Ann said, I don't think I'm giving away too much by saying that I was way more interested in Finnick and Annie's relationship than Katniss and Peta slash Gale. More thoughts about this post part two. I agree that their relationship is really interesting, and mm-hmm. I wish we had more exploration Yeah, I, yeah, of it, I wish backstory. we had gotten a little more backstory because on it is, them, I for do, sure. I, it is a thing that I've distinctly felt this time was, and I, I just don't remember at all what I felt the first time. I don't even remember Finnick being a character in the third book, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. upon my memory, I remembered him in the second one. I didn't even remember he was still part of it because I just remembered nothing about the third book. But I do, it did feel this time like, their relationship in this book and them getting married and everything sort of, which that's spoilers for part two, but did sort of come out, not out of nowhere, but it felt like very little well, the, groundwork the was done for The thing that's weird to me is that their relationship is occasionally held up as like almost an a foil or like an ideal to... Yeah everything that Katniss has going on. Yeah. But we know so little little about about it it, that it's not a particularly effective comparison. Yeah. And, and there's, and it raises lots of questions too, because we know, we know that Annie suffers from unnamed, but numerous like mental, um, um, sort of disorders or what mm-hmm. like she she's dealing with lots of things to the point where we're not really sure like what is going yeah. on with her and it does raise interesting questions about their relationship in terms of like consent and that di- because we don't know mm-hmm. i don't i i think it's very clearly uh, that she's in general like very she i don't think there's any issues there at least from as with the reading in the book but it does their, their relationship is really interesting because of what little we know about yeah. her. I, I that it, think it's briefly mentioned that he was her mentor, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's interesting dynamics to their relationship that made me go, hmm, I would want to know more about yeah. that. It seems all above board, but we don't know. But it also has like little flags that are like kind of strange to me. I don't know. I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was like, it, it just felt like we didn't get enough Mm -hmm. of their relationship for the like you said the way it was presented as sort of this um positive not because again i don't think that Peta and and gail and her relationships are necessarily supposed to be negative they're just complicated and whatever they're messy messy and 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 annie's and phoenix is presented as this unmessy like sort of idyllic yeah version but it's hard to see hard to 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 just accept that at face value when we have like little crumbs of the dynamics of their relationship that make me think it can't be nearly as like idyllic as, Mm -hmm. as it's presented, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, maybe we're supposed to take that and understand that Katniss is also on the outside of that and and young and maybe sort of seeing it as more idyllic than it actually is. But it is, yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. And and I don't think it's as effective as maybe she wanted it to be. Yeah. And our last comment is from Them Cultured Vultures, who said, Like Brian, this is the closest I get to preferring the movie over the book. 
Having done no research, I got a real kick out of seeing Jamie Moriarty, Foggy Nelson, and Am- Amos, Bur- Amos, that's Amos it. Burton that's as his name Katniss's from, film team. From uh, The Expanse. Mm-hmm. Amos, yeah. It was interesting to hear that you were underwhelmed by the hospital hovercraft heroism. That was a moment I thought the direction and cinematography really stood out. I was underwhelmed by that. You were not. You liked it. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I distinctly mentioned how much I thought, how cool yeah. I thought that shot of the hovercraft going into, unless I'm thinking of a different moment or they're talking about a different moment. Hospital hovercraft heroism. I think they're probably referring to me having questions about wouldn't they hear the, oh, the hovercraft. Yeah, because I very distinctly yes, mentioned how did, cool I thought that thought shot that was, was and cool. the way the yeah. sound drops out and everything. I agree 100%. Yeah. Uh, hashtag release the pita choke out final cut shot <laughs> for real i mean you you don't have to release anything you can just end your you can just pause the yeah, movie there and turn it off movie. like it's possible <laughs> you can do that <laughs> what were the final numbers the book with 15 votes to the movie's 11 so this was much closer much closer than our last few polls have been and Closer than the other two. Yeah, by far. Um, in the installment were. Uh, we also had six voters who couldn't choose or wanted to delay judgment mm-hmm. like we did. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback on very short notice. We appreciate it. Lots of good stuff in there. And we hope you will respond after Mockingjay Part 2 because that is going to be an interesting one. All right. Speaking of Mockingjay Part 2, let's learn a little bit about the movie. I've been watching you and you watching me. Dear Miss Everdeen, make no mistake, the game is coming to its end. For the first time in our lifetimes, we're standing together with 13 districts. Our future starts tomorrow at dawn, when we march together into the capital. To slow our attacks, President Snow is building a minefield of traps. The sadistic inventions of game makers meant to make sport of our deaths. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 7600 Games. Mockingjay Part 2 is a 2015 film once again directed by Francis Lawrence and written by Peter Craig and Danny Strong. It stars our returning cast as well as Eugenie uh, Bondurant as Tigress, or Tigress, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, as Commander Lime, so mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Misty and Kim Ormison as Liege One and Two, and Joe Crest as Mitchell. Those were all the new names that I saw. There may be other people that I missed. Those were most of the new characters, to be fair. I think. I think everybody yeah. else made an appearance in a previous film. Maybe. The film has a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 65 on Metacritic, and a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, which puts it just barely above the scores for part one on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, like a point or two above. Yeah. And the 6.6 IMDb score is identical to part one. Uh, the film made $658 million against a budget of $160 million, which fell short of expectations and also made it the lowest grossing in the entire film series, which is interesting for yeah. the finale. Yeah. Uh, my guess is... My guess is that a lot of would be my I don't know. There's a lot of things. So one uh, Force Awakens came out 
like the same time, mm. uh, so, which pulled a lot of dollars, obviously. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if the sort of lukewarm or lesser, less warm reaction to this novel compared to oh yeah, the, I totally the previous agree. ones as well as um, the first movie. I, I mean, the first movie I'm, it was fine. Obviously, we almost picked it over the book, but I, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if sort of people's negative some people's negative feelings towards how the series ended yeah um definitely probably kind of colored well and like thinking back it also seems to me like that the series didn't maintain like interest as well as some other series that we've talked about did yeah um it seemed to me like by the time we got to these last like final installments like just general interest had waned yeah and i think a lot of that has to do with the way the series went and because it's uh, you know before the movies i only ever saw the first movie and i had already read all three books i think i can't recall um or maybe i'd read the first two or something and and obviously we talked about how my interest and liking of the books the first time i read them 10 years ago or whatever decreased as i read them uh to the point where i did not like the third one much at all um that has changed spoilers but i do think a lot of that has to do with just well, suzanne collins had a very specific goal with this series that is very hard it's not enjoyable mm-hmm. it, and that was her point and we'll talk about this a lot in the main episode but it's her the series is intentionally sort of nihilistic in a way and like horrible and and ends that way on purpose i think and that's I, it's, I get what she's doing, but it also means people aren't going to go see the movies like yeah. or, or less, you know, like yeah, it's, fewer it, it, people it makes gonna... a, a movie series that is much less satisfying and is going to like make people not again. I, I get I get it. We'll talk about it. It's just um, it doesn't surprise me <laughs> that the series sort of lost steam as it went because of the very specific choices Suzanne Collins made with the series could do nothing but lose steam in terms yeah. of like rushing out to the theaters to see it. Like have, if you've read the third book and know what happens, I'm not like, I, I we're watching the movie tonight. I'm not like excited to watch yeah. the movie. <laughs> no, you know either. what I mean? And I even, and again, <laughs> we'll get into it. I actually enjoyed the third one a lot more this time. I understand what, what we're, what the point is and I get it and I think it's effective mostly but still it doesn't mean I'm excited to watch it all happen you know yeah. what I mean like it's and so yeah. I think that had a lot to that wouldn't surprise me if that also had a fair amount to do with it uh, the movie was filmed back to back with part one starting in September of 2013 uh, we had discussed that Philip Seymour Hoffman died with one week of filming remaining uh, so the majority of his scenes were already shot but it was initially announced apparently that he would be digitally recreated for one major scene involving him that hadn't been filmed yet later they decided against that and rewrote the scenes to compensate for his absence uh, the scene that's changed is after everything has happened Plutarch is talking to her I think it's the scene when they're in like the hovercraft and he's explaining like everything end. that's happened yeah. like what all transpired Inspired, and they just made Haymitch do it and like it's reading a letter from Plutarch or hmm. something like that. Interesting. So it's a similar scene because I think there's a couple distinct moments because I was reading that scene going, well, this must be the scene they're talking about. And because it's the only scene where they like in this whole second half of the book where Plutarch and Katniss would even have a yeah. like conversation. Yeah. And I was like, it has to be this scene. And my guess is that there's a few distinct like moments in that that kind of 
don't make sense coming from Haymitch, mm-hmm. but only make sense coming from Plutarch, so they just made it a letter or something. Like, that's all I can imagine. And I, for that time, I'm really glad, 2014, that they didn't decide to do anything digitally. That would have been a nightmare. Yeah. I don't even know. Who knows what they meant by that? That could have meant, like, we're going to manipulate his voice and, like, use, like, a, it's going to be, like, a, you know, like, I doubt they were going to try to do, like, Tarkin from Rogue One. Right. Or, um, yeah, Rogue What's that movie called? The one where they blow up the desk or they get the plants. Is it called Rogue One? Why yeah. can't yeah. My brain blanked it. I thought it had a different <laughs> name for some reason. I doubt they were planning that. Because right. the technology wasn't there at the right. time. But they may have come had been trying to think of do something where they could utilize in some way. But no, they just decided against it, which I think is probably the best choice. <laughs> uh so many of the capital scenes uh in the finale were shot in Paris and Berlin. There's a circular apartment complex where the toxic oil trap goes off, a big set piece in the in the book. Um, that's a real apartment complex called the Espaces Abraxas? Espaces? It's French, so I don't know. Uh, my French is real rusty. Abraxas is in a suburb of Paris, France. I looked up pictures. Um, we haven't watched the movie yet, but I was like, oh, that's gnarly. It looks like yeah. something out of a sci-fi movie. Hmm. Apparently it's real. Uh, apparently the only thing they really did was they removed a bunch of trees that are normally in the courtyard. Otherwise, very few alterations Digital, were Digitally made. removed. Yes. They digi- didn't chop CGI, <laughs> CGI removed some trees. There's also a huge underground place uh, room that the uh, Squad 451 enters when they go through the sewers. Uh, and that is also a real place in Japan. It's called the Metropolitan Area Outer Underground Discharge Channel which if you go look up pictures of this, it's wild. It's the world's largest underground floodwater diversion facility. Hmm. Uh, It's located between Tokyo and Kasukabi in Saitama. And it literally looks like the mines of Moria. Like when you look at the pictures, there's pictures of people like walking around in it. And I'm sure we'll see it in the movie later. It's crazy. It looks like the mines of Moria. I was like, that's a real place apparently. You know, we've never talked about it, but it must have been really interesting to get to scout locations for this series. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So the consoles in District 13 and their control center were originally built for the Mission Control Center set in Apollo 13. Uh, They were later acquired by Prop House and then rented out for these movies. Several of these consoles, um, still with the badges reading Pan Am and Property of Capital District Defense Forces, were apparently used in the Mercury Control Center set for a film we also did, Hidden Figures. Hmm. So that's interesting. Wish we had known that before Hidden Figures. Yeah, could have looked for it. So Joanna tells Katniss that the president can be killed if the assassin is willing to die for it. Her actual words, and this is a movie line. I don't know if it's, I don't think this is in the book. I don't remember it. I just read most of it this morning. I don't remember I don't it. recall this line. So I think this is a movie ad. Um, and her actual words are apparently paraphrasing a statement by, uh, made by John F. Kennedy at one point who said, quote, if anyone is crazy enough to want to kill a president of the United States, he can do it. All he must be prepared to do is give his life for the president's. So I think that was a movie, yeah, that they were used inspired by that quote from Kennedy. Uh, The only film in the franchise that did not receive a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Song. Womp, womp. Womp, womp. So at the end of the film, when the victors are seated around a circular table, there is a bowl in the middle, or sorry, in in a hutch behind Katniss. And it is the bowl from the first Hunger Games movie uh, at the end where Seneca Crane walks into the room and it's full of the berries. Mm. That bowl is in the background of that scene. So look out for that. The film received generally positive reviews from critics praising the action and performances, but criticizing splitting it into two movies. 
I actually think that splitting it into two movies makes a lot of sense and works really well here. Reading the book where the split was, it actually felt like yeah, a very it felt natural. natural. Like, I almost felt like I was starting a new book when we got into the second yeah. half. It felt very natural. Yeah, I mean, there's a very natural split. She she leaves 13. Yeah. Like, right around in the half. Yeah, the and, point. and we get the big, the, Peter's rescued and the, yeah. the big, like, set piece finale. I think it, the split makes a lot of sense. Um, I understand why, like, traditionally, a, a book of this length would be adapted into a single movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, it's only 400 pages. It's not that long Right, of a novel. it's not some hulking behemoth. Yeah, so I understand why traditionally, but I think it makes sense, and I think it works, and they were able to do it then without making tons of, you know, cuts to mm-hmm. what, what they're showing in the film. Manola Dargis from the New York Times praised uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character, saying, quote, Katniss is the right heroine for, this, for these neo-feminist times, end quote. Stephen Witte from New York Daily News had a more negative review saying, quote, remember that line from the first Hunger Games film? May the odds be ever in your favor? Yeah, well, the luck has run out. End quote. Tom Huddleston of Time Out gave the film four out of five stars. He praised the ending of the film as genuinely powerful and commented that, quote, this might be the most downbeat blockbuster in memory, a film that starts out pitiless and goes downhill from there, save for a fleeting glimmer of hope in the final moments. It's a bold statement about the unforgiving nature of war, unashamedly political in its motives and quietly devastating in its emotional effect. You know, I think that quote really nails why this works better as novels. Yeah. In movies like generally because it, yeah it, it, as far as blockbusters go yeah. pretty bleak yeah and we're not used to bleak blockbusters yeah. and that's the thing that's tough with the series and and maybe we'll talk about more in the main episode is that adapting the series is like when you go into it it it's a ya sit novel series with a love triangle ish yeah. with um action and adventure uh, and harrowing stuff and, and like, you know, somewhat uh, an interesting political stuff, but especially in the first one. And I don't remember like, you know, when they agreed to make the series, like where she was in, right. Like when, when the movies, when the rights got bought right. and stuff, like where she was in this, like, had she written Mockingjay yet? Did they know where the series was yeah. going? Because I think there are movies here that make perfect sense. And I think these movies probably actually do a pretty good job. Uh, and we'll see once we see this last one today in terms of adapting it. But it's definitely a series that maybe makes less sense adapting it as a summer blockbuster, like PG-13 mm-hmm. action series, a la, you know, Twilight, Harry Potter, uh, Lord of the Rings, whatever. Makes less sense as that and more sense as like like a gritty art house like Maybe not art house because they require bigger budgets. Yeah, like, we need the budgets. But something in the, in in the vein of like a Dune or something that like Denis Villeneuve would yeah. adapt or something a little moodier, a little moodier, a little darker, a little more um, ponderous and like and just because the their audience like the audience they're trying to appeal to, and and I really do applaud them at least so far for not apart from dialing down some of the brutality, not like, again, we'll see where the second movie, how it wraps up, but not like trying to turn the movies into something they're not like in terms of like trying to turn them into just like feel good blockbusters that like popcorn fare overall. Like they really did, which is kind of amazing that they would do that. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. they would take the series and, and stick to the guns of the... Again, we'll see. We haven't watched the second <laughs> one yet. Maybe they make a huge change or something. But 
Um, anyways, I, it is an interesting, it's almost like this weird bait and switch because the series feels like it's going to be one thing yeah. and then becomes something else entirely. Yes. And, which is why I think a lot of people found it disappointing. And it's definitely why I found it disappointing as, a, as when I was younger. And I think it is an interesting sort of <laughs> uh, experiment in like filmmaking of like this thing is not what they thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. but they still they were already in and it was making enough money <laughs> that they're like, I guess we'll just make this horrible, bleak, like war drama <laughs> like uh, this nihilistic. <laughs> I, uh, OK, I guess that's what we're doing. I don't know. It's interesting. And I, I keep I keep saying nihilistic. It's not completely. Obviously, there is as the reviewer mentioned, you know, uh, it ends on more of a a hopeful note than potentially the rest of the novel sort of um, implies. (laughs) I think it is interesting that it almost feels like the epilogue was like the publisher, like you can't end the series this way. You have to, it has to be happier than this. Like, I don't know. We'll talk about it. And then my final note is that uh, apparently, so the, uh, in twenty like fifteen or something, uh, or something like that, twenty eighteen, yeah, sometime in the last few more years, recent. sometimes in the last few years, Suzanne Collins released a prequel to the series called uh, "The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes," where uh, Coralinus Snow is the protagonist of the novel, yeah, uh, which received which is interesting, yeah, uh, complicated opinions from people. <laughs> Uh, but in late uh, in August of 2021, so this month, Liongate Motion Picture Group chairman Joe Drake revealed that the film was in pre-production with filming expected to begin in early 2022 for a targeted release of either late 2023 or early 2024. Uh, okay. So apparently so apparently that's going to be a movie. The so Songbird and the Snakes is coming and we will have to do it. At yeah, some I guess point. we'll have to because I was thinking that I might do that book as like an extra like Patreon bonus thing, yeah. like I did for right. uh, Midnight Sun. Yeah. But if it's gonna be a movie, apparently, well, and who knows? Things could change. True, and, yeah. but but no. it it would appear that it is in the works. Um, well, we'll see how it plays out. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will. All right, that's all we had for this uh, little bit of info about Mockingjay Part Two. Katie, where can people watch it? Well, as always, you can check with your local library and see if they have a copy that you can rent. Or if you still have one last hanging on local video rental store, check with them. If you don't want to do either of those things, you can stream this with ads slash a subscription through Peacock or Peacock Premium. Or you can rent it for around 3 to $4 on Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, DirecTV, or AMC Theaters On Demand. There you go. So uh, we'll be wrapping this thing up on Wednesday. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm actually not particularly looking forward to watching this movie. I am interested to see, you know, what they change, yeah. what happens. But it's one of those things where you, when you know how it ends going in, I'm just like, Bleh. Do you know what the <sighs> runtime on this sucker it's, is? It's not super. It's it's like two ten. It's oh, only okay. a little bit longer than the last movie. All right. I, I mean, it's not like two hours and forty minutes or yeah. anything like that. It's but it is yeah. It's a little bit over two hours. So and uh, but to be it's two sixteen I think. But who, ten minutes of that's credits probably or something. So True. if not more. Yeah. So with how many people worked on these films. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be watching that this evening uh, and talking about recording tomorrow to come out on Sunday. And, yeah, it should be it should be an interesting one. I have lots of notes. Um, And again, not to spoil anything, but my appraisal of the series is more positive as a series overall, including the third book. 
I still have some thought. <laughs> still have some thoughts, but it is much more positive just kind of going in. It, the, the, the series I, I, I look at as a whole much more positively than I did having read them 10 years ago, mm -hmm. um, which I kind of expected. Yeah. Um, but that was the case. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into all the, the nitty gritty, <laughs> all the details of that on Wednesday. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.